and welcome to another sermon in our series on the book of Genesis. My name is Dan Forrest and today we will be looking at Genesis 32 and 33. I have titled my sermon The God Who Wrestles With Us because in these chapters we find the famous story of God wrestling with Jacob. Before we get into our sermon we're going to watch a little wrestling match from the cult classic Hot Rod. Spoiler alert, this video clip is the climax of the movie, so skip ahead if you don't want the ending spoiled. Well, in Hot Rod, Andy Samberg plays Rod Kimball, who aspires to two things in life, to be a great stuntman like his dead father, and to win the respect of his stepfather Frank by beating him up in a fight. Rod is terrible at both of these things, but after many ups and downs, we get to this big moment with Frank. Enjoy. Get ready to meet your maker. Oh, God! We hadn't even started yet! Never underestimate your opponent. What's up now, Frank? I'm doing this because I love you! Never underestimate your opponent. Well, well, well. Finally, a fight. I might actually... Ah! Ah! Gotcha. What the hell? Is that a throwing star? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Just to clarify, at the end there, Rod doesn't kill Frank with the five-point palm exploding heart technique from Kill Bill. Instead, he uses a Tai Chi move that makes a grown man crap his pants. So don't worry, Frank is not dead, he's just pooped himself. Alright, let's move on to Genesis now. As we learned from last week, Jacob went off to his uncle Laban's with, but with nothing but his staff and sandals and had a pretty horrible 20-year experience there. But... He did end up with two wives, a couple concubines, lots of kids, and tons of livestock and cattle and servants. And God then called him to finally leave Laban's land and return back to the land of his father Isaac. But remember who was waiting for him back home? That's right, Esau, the older brother who, had who he had cheated many years ago. And now Esau has vowed that he would one day kill Jacob. Jacob has no idea what is going to happen with his brother Esau, but he does know that God has called him back home. And after all these years, Jacob has developed a great faith and trust in God. So he returns home, trusting God's way is the best way. And on his way back home, we read this in Genesis 32, verse 3. 
Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I might find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Okay, notice some of the language that's happening here. Jacob refers to Esau as my Lord, and he refers to himself as your servant. This is the opposite of Jacob's blessing that he got from Isaac back in chapter 27, when Isaac said to him, Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mothers bow down to you. Jacob is trying to pacify Esau, and he's humbling himself, hoping Esau will forgive him and spare his life. But when he hears that Esau is coming to meet him and he's got 400 men with him, Jacob reacts. Verse 7, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Even though Jacob has developed a strong faith in God and in God's promises, there is still fear in him. I love this story because it's so real. This story is telling us that we can be ambiguous. We can walk in faith that God will protect us, but we can also be afraid not knowing what will happen in the future. Faith in God doesn't mean that we have no fear. Every time I, have, every time I fly, I have faith in the pilots and I have faith in the aircraft, but yet I'm still afraid. I have enough faith to get on the plane but my faith is not strong enough to rid me of my fears. And in the same way, oftentimes God has developed enough faith within us to start us moving in the right direction, but we still might have fear within us that it actually won't work out. And in those moments, we really should follow Jacob's example and listen to our fears and allow them to drive us to God in prayer. Verse 9, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my mother Rebekah, sorry, <laughs> my father Isaac, Lord, you who have said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. This is a new Jacob. He has grown so much in his time with Laban. This isn't the arrogant, deceitful Jacob anymore. He's humbling himself here. He is broken down. He is weak. He considers himself unworthy, but he is learning how to walk in faith and he is putting his hope in God's promises. His prayer demonstrates that he wants a right relationship with his brother. And this relationship is based on a right relationship with God first. After this prayer, he selects a gift for Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20, and 20 rams. 30 female camels and their young. 40 cows and 10 bulls and 12 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He separates all these herds into different groups and he spaces them out. And as each herd is reaching Esau, 
The servants are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. Jacob's goal is that by the time Esau finally meets him, Esau will be pacified by all these gifts and perhaps will receive him. He sends all the gifts off and then he sends his family and all his possessions across the Jabbok River to wait for him on the other side while he spends the night all alone. Jacob is clearly still afraid and he's trying to fix everything in his own power. He's sending all these gifts to massage Esau to try and soften him up. He sends his family ahead so that Esau will see he's a good family man. He's hoping Esau will have some compassion on him for the sake of his family. And now Jacob spends the night all alone in his own fear and anxiety. And then this happens. So Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This must have been so confusing for Jacob. Who is this man and why is he wrestling with me? Maybe he thinks that this is Esau at first, come to finally kill him. But soon he would realize it wasn't Esau. So who is he? Who is this man? Jacob doesn't know, but he keeps fighting. When the man saw that he could not overcome him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. Okay, so this man clearly has some supernatural powers. By just touching Jacob, he wrenches his hip. But yet, he couldn't overpower Jacob. Jacob still holds tight. Perhaps this is Esau's guardian angel, as some Jewish rabbis believe, gone ahead of Esau to wrestle with Jacob. But Jacob doesn't give up even after his, rent, after his hip is wrenched. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. The battle of strength now becomes a battle of words, as Jacob now wants a blessing from the man. But before blessing Jacob, the man changes Jacob's name to Israel. And notice that Jacob still doesn't know who he's fighting with. Please tell me your name, he asks. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Well, we're familiar with this story, so we knew all along that Jacob was wrestling with God here. But it isn't until the very end that Jacob realizes, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now that we know this is with God, as we look back, we, we might see some plot holes in this story. If this is God, why couldn't he overcome Jacob? Why didn't he know Jacob's name? Why is he even wrestling with Jacob in the first place? How is he wrestling with Jacob? Is he the angel of the Lord like we've seen before in Genesis? Or is this the pre-incarnate Jesus wrestling with Jacob? I don't really have any good answers for any of these questions because the text just doesn't give us any answers. But we do know that God often doesn't appear or act the way that we think he should or say the things that we'd expect him to say. Remember, God asked Adam and Eve where they were and what they had done, even though he already knew all those things. He asked Cain where his brother was, even though he knew that he was already murdered. God does come down to our level. He comes down to our level and engages in conversations with us 
to give us a chance to open up, to be honest with him, to enter into a dialogue with him as equals. And he allows Jacob to overpower him, even though he could easily defeat Jacob in a wrestling match. But he does this so they can have this intimate and incredibly powerful exchange. Well, now that we know this is God, consider how strange this whole thing really is. Previous to this, Jacob had prayed to God in fear that God would save him from his brother Esau. And the way God chose to respond to him in prayer is to come down and wrestle with him. God does not follow any formula in the way he responds to our prayers. Remember my sermon from a few weeks ago on Hagar. God met her face to face as well, but he didn't wrestle with her. He consoled her. He gave her words of encouragement and he revealed himself as the God who sees her. But even though he consoled her, he didn't make her life all rosy. He sent her back to her abusive relationship. Later, when Hagar was in the desert with her son abandoned and on the brink of death, God came down again, but this time he intervened miraculously and he provided a well to save her and her son. So sometimes when we pray, God comes as the God who sees us, sometimes as the God who provides and saves us. But here in the case of Jacob, we see God can also come down as the God who wrestles us. In this confrontation, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which can have two meanings. Either it can mean God wrestles or one who wrestles with God. And I think both meanings really work for Jacob. The one to literally start the fight is God. He comes down to wrestle Jacob in the dark. But in a sense, Jacob is the one to spiritually start the fight when he entered into prayer with God the night before. And he's the one who carried on the fight throughout the night. He could have given up at any point, but he didn't. He persevered and persisted in his fight with God. This change in name from Jacob to Israel marks a new character and a new destiny for Jacob and the people of God. From now on, the people of God will be defined by their struggle with God. They will wrestle with him and God will wrestle back. And in this case, this is the response to prayer that Jacob needed. This struggle with God was preparation for the confrontation with Esau. God has taken away Jacob's point of strength and now made him completely dependent on God. God addressed Jacob's fear not with words of comfort, not with ministering angels, but by making him wrestle with him all night. And what does Jacob come out with at the end? A wrenched hip, sorry, a wrenched hip that leaves him with a permanent limp. Jacob is physically weaker than he was before and now more vulnerable to attack from his brother. Jacob wanted salvation from Esau, but instead he's given physical weakness. You would think this would make Jacob more fearful of his brother, but look at what happens in the morning. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Well, at first, it looks like he's acting out in fear again, dividing his family up into groups, and we expect him to put them all in front, though, to soften Esau before the confrontation. But then in verse 3, we see that he himself went on ahead. After wrestling with God, Jacob's fear is gone. 
Jacob's response, sorry, God's response to Jacob's prayer has actually worked. This all night wrestling match has released Jacob from his fear and given, given him the courage that he needs to face Esau man to man. He's also released from pride as he bows down to the ground seven times before Esau. And now here comes the beating from his older brother who's been waiting 20 years to pound him into the ground. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Plot twist. Esau somewhere along the way has had a change of heart too. We don't know his story. We don't know what's happened with Esau in these 20 years. But he's got nothing but compassion and grace for his younger brother now. This response is the same response that we see in the parable of the prodigal son when the father runs to welcome back his son who betrayed him so many years earlier. This truly is a miracle and completely unexpected that Esau fully embraces Jacob again after all that's happened. And after this, we read, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? Well, to find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. I think here we can get a sense why Esau isn't holding a grudge against Jacob anymore. The reason Esau was so angry in the first place was because Jacob stole the blessing from him. But Esau ended up doing fine on his own. He says here that he already has plenty. And there's probably something to the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, for myself, I fought a lot with my siblings and with my mom growing up, but after I left the house, things actually smoothed out a lot between us. And a part of that was because we weren't around each other all the time, pissing each other off. I'm sure Esau was happy to not have his conniving brother around all the time getting into his business. And really, Jacob never did get any of the wealth from Isaac, even though he was supposed to get it. So it looked like Jacob robbed Esau of great wealth before, but really Esau did get to enjoy the full wealth that his father uh, had without Jacob getting any. Well, in this exchange, we see Jacob has grown and changed so much since their last encounter. Jacob attributes all he has to God's grace, and he wants to give back what he stole from Esau. Here, Jacob acknowledges that all he has is because of God's grace. And in the NIV, we read, Please accept the present that was brought to you. But the word for present is actually blessing. In effect, he is saying, take back what I've stolen from you. Jacob is truly seeking reconciliation and restoration with his brother. But of course, we know Jacob can only give back the material blessing. He can't return the spiritual blessing. That's going to stay with him and will always stay with him, especially after all the encounters he's had with God since. But remember, Esau never really wanted the spiritual blessings anyways. He only cared about the physical blessing. And the funny thing is, he doesn't actually need Jacob to give him anything now. But Jacob needs him to take it in order to fully accept the reconciliation. 
to accept that reconciliation has happened and that the two are on good terms again. So Esau accepts the gift. <laughs> but then there's this other funny exchange that happens right after it. Because Esau, he wants full reconciliation with Jacob. He's like, hey, let's go back to my place and let's be brothers again. But then Jacob makes up this weird story about how his kids and his cattle are too young and they need to travel slowly. He, he totally makes up this excuse so, so that Esau will go on ahead of him and he can lag behind. Because he does not actually want to go with Esau to Esau's home. He lets Esau go on ahead and then Jacob doesn't follow him. He goes off in a completely different direction and he sets up camp near the city of Shechem. And this is the last that we hear of Esau as he takes off with his group away from Jacob. I'm not sure what to make of Jacob not wanting to live with Esau. Perhaps he realizes that they'll just start fighting again if they live too close together. Or maybe he just wants to establish himself as his own family apart from Esau and their past. Maybe he's just being a jerk. I don't know. In any case, the chapter ends with Jacob setting up an altar and calling it El Elohei Israel, which means mighty is the God of Israel, which is very significant because up until this point, Jacob kept referring to God as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But now he refers to God as the God of Israel, which is his new name. It's also a significant name for the altar because fully translated, it can mean mighty is God, the God who wrestles, or also Mighty is the God of the one who wrestles with God. Wrestling with God is such a vital part of our lives. Oftentimes, we're like Jacob. We walk in faith, trusting that God is leading us and is with us. But we still carry that fear inside of us. And often, we need to wrestle with God to release us from fear. Wrestling with God in prayer is like working out, though. We really don't want to do it. But we know in the end, we're going to feel so much better. We know that we're going to come out stronger in the end. We know that we're going to have more confidence in ourselves. God wants to wrestle with us, to strengthen us, and to mature us. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jacob wrestles with God at night in this passage. Have you ever had those sleepless nights where, you know, you toss and turn because something's just gnawing at your insides and it's just rattling around in your brain. You can't get it to stop. You know, you might be anxious about work or someone that you have a conflict with or, you know, some uncertainty about your future. And it's just keeping you up all night. And that's where Jacob was that night, tossing, turning, wrestling with his thoughts and emotions about this encounter with Esau. And God entered into that fear and anxiety and he wrestled with Jacob. Sometimes when we pray, God responds to us with words of comfort and encouragement. Sometimes God shows up in a miraculous way and instantly delivers us from our problems. But other times, God comes down and he kicks our butt. <laughs> I struggled for many years with uh, my feelings towards my dad. I've talked about this before. I was really angry with him and frustrated for years. And, and a big issue that I had with him was that he never reached out to me and showed me that he loved me. You know, he never called me. He never asked questions about my life. I just didn't get this sense that he cared about me. And one night, I had a dream about him. And I believe this dream was really a nighttime wrestling match with God. Because in that dream, I confronted my dad and I said, Why don't you ever reach out to me? 
And my dad turned to me and he responded, why don't you ever reach out to me? Ah, it was like a punch in the gut because for so long I had been justified in my anger. He wasn't reaching out to me. He wasn't showing love to me. And I was the kid and he was my dad. So it was all his fault. But at this point in my life, I was in my early 20s. I wasn't a kid anymore. I was a responsible adult. And in that dream, I realized that I now have a responsibility to my dad too, to reach out to him and extend love to him. After Jacob left his wrestling match with God, he walked away with a limp, a reminder that he must depend on God. For me, I woke up that night with a limp of guilt, realizing that I had a responsibility to show love to my dad, even though I didn't want to. That limp led me to eventually open up to him about my pain and eventually offer him forgiveness and a desire for a new relationship with him. Because God wrestled with me, I was released from my fears, my anger, my anxiety. It wasn't just that one night of wrestling though. It took many years of wrestling with him, years of wrestling with my dad in conversation. But I finally came to a place where I could let go of those things and cast my anger and my anxiety and my guilt on Christ. Jesus knows what you're going through. Because he himself, the night before his crucifixion, had a wrestling match with God. We read in Matthew 26, Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with them, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Even though Jesus is God, he had to somehow, in a, in a mysterious way, wrestle with God the Father, asking him to take the cup away. But we know that that wasn't his destiny. His destiny was the cross. And Jesus knew that too. And he submitted to the way of pain and suffering for our sake. Jesus with Jacob modeled how to wrestle with God, to persevere and not give up, to keep praying and struggling until God blesses us, recognizing that God's blessing might involve a limp or even death on the cross. I want to leave you now with this blessing from Courtney Joseph because she sums up well what I've been preaching today. So these are her words, not mine, but my heart to yours comes from these words. I've learned from my own wrestling matches that God does not show up the way I necessarily want him to. Like a toddler stamping her feet, I want God to give me what I ask for when I ask for it. Instead, God knows my deeper needs. He knows I need to completely focus on him. He knows I need comfort. He knows I need increased faith. He knows I need to depend on him alone. He knows I need change and that I need more of him. So if God is inviting you into a wrestling match, accept the invite. Go. Stay there. Don't give up. You will be changed. God is giving you a blessing. Keep walking with the King. Amen. Thank you.